Good morning, people of planet Earth. It is I, Hacker Mike, and welcome back to the Stream of Random Podcast. We're trying to be a daily podcast now, really not missing a day, at the risk of actually producing a 10-minute episode for the day, just to let you know we're still alive. And this podcast has been evolving, shifting and twisting since we started to do daily recordings or an episode 130, I think today would be 138 or 9, I'll have to check. Yesterday we started, last night we started with the first episode in the um, Google Censorship series. And I'm not going to do that right now because I don't have my hands free. And it's cold. I have gloves on. It's um, 35 degrees and it's 4.59 in the morning. The moon is at half and Venus is welcoming. We've also got some clouds. So today we're going to discuss some freeform stuff. Here's some topics. Well, first of all, I finished listening to the um, Podcasting 2.0. And Curry and Dave have announced the support, well, the payment or value block in the podcasting RSS feed and an idea of using Bitcoin Lightning and then also supporting chat via the blockchain. And that's a, that's a great idea. Um, we, I discussed that on my topics, on my ideas as well, on, on this podcast, some ideas for using the blockchain. <coughs> Chat is a good um, idea. If you have to pay to put your chat message on the blockchain, there'll be less spam or boosting. Um... Now, I was thinking yesterday that we need some kind of generic timestamp interface where we're really dealing with time codes and, uh, you know, what is uh, a, uh, what does it mean? in here. What does it mean to um, have a uh, transcript? It means that this timestamp display this text. Well, what if we wanted to display the chat logs? Wouldn't that just be at this timestamp, display this text from the chat? So we could watch the um, text of the chat scroll along. So, 
Now, how does that get delivered? Is it delivered on a sideband or whatever? I mean, those are just details. Is it stored on a blockchain? But in general, we're associating a timestamp, a position in the file, a time, to some text, the display, or some event, some picture. <coughs> so, and what if we go in, go ahead and just say these are all, um, you know, part of a video feed or a... <coughs> I don't want to say video, but, you know, the text could have an emoji, it could have a picture attached to it, um, etc. So that whole chat stream is, um, is part of the, uh, part of the feed. What if we store it in a Telegram channel? And we talked about that before. Or IRC, etc. So, the point is, um, we have different sources of annotations for a stream. And on my introspector rants, you know, I've talked about terabytes of data per second and shown all types of metadata and all types of information that you'd have for every second of your runtime. And that runtime can be, as well, <clears throat> um, you know, every second of the podcast or, you know, the audio feed or whatever. And is the audio feed not also just something with... Good morning. Is the audio feed not just something that has the, um, the timestamp as well? You know, these events are happening at this time. So anyway, so that's one thing I was thinking about. Like, in general, um, we want to merge multiple events together and display them somehow. And I guess that's up to the podcasting app. We're just giving it hints. Okay. So, and then the second point is, you know, privacy. If um, my chats are going on to the blockchain, if they're going on at the payments, See that idea of the payment every um, minute? That's really a tracker. <clears throat> Just like Spotify's doing. And that tracker will say who's listening. If they're chatting, it'll say, you know, who's, it gives you a unique identifier, really, that address that can be audited. You can see, oh, well, what are the chats from that address? What are they listening to? It's going to expose a lot of um, private information. So, I think that Bitcoin might not be the best choice of coins because it was not designed for privacy. And we probably want to look at some type of privacy coin for this purpose. 
that was designed to actually hide the user's identity. I'm thinking Monero or something. And there's millions of different coins. So I don't think any of this should be married to one blockchain. I mean, sure, it's a great idea. Um, you can implement it for one blockchain, but um, I think in the end, you're really going to want to consider to support multiple blockchains. <clears throat> and multiple feeds, I mean, I guess that's what they expect, not to be hard-coded into one thing. But uh, I do like the idea. I just have my... Um, my concerns. I mean, sure, I like the Spotify interface on Anchor FM. I could see, for the Spotify listeners, I can see what second they started and stopped listening on. I was looking at that one podcast, and it's like, wow, they just got hung up on that one section and played it over and over and over again. I gotta go listen to what the hell that is. Maybe they're sharing it or playing it for someone, but it really is an invasion of privacy. Um... Now I gotta go yell at all the pot, the people um, who are using uh, Spotify, tell them to stop. They're exposing themselves, and I think this also would expose people, you know, if you have millions of listeners, maybe they can hide, but if you only have two listeners on Spotify. Uh, then you know their gender, and you know their age, and you know what lo their location is. I mean, it's really um, a little bit of a privacy thing. <clears throat> All right. So, and then, um, well, we were talking about the Marvel Universe, so we watched the last ten minutes of um, Endgame, and we saw that it was, um, that they stole the gauntlet from uh, Thantos, and it was uh, Iron Man who killed him in the end. And, um, that was interesting. I hope I'm not going the wrong way here. But then I, um, I sat down with my son and I found a pot, an hour, 20 minute video on the history of the Marvel Universe. And it's Stan Lee did an absolutely crazy job. Um, he's so creative. And he created this entire universe with the universe being destroyed in six generations and the multiverse. I mean, it is such a complicated thing um, that he created. So, it looks like um, he was quite the busy bee, Stan Lee.
and um, but he, he explains all the origin stories of all the um, all the different uh, superheroes and all that. So the guy's a genius. I like how he makes Yahweh a third generation god or something for the humans. Yeah, so um, he's really doing some kind of pagan philosophy there. <clears throat> but I never knew that the Marvel Universe was so deep. So you got to respect. So hats off to Stan Lee. Um, because the story is just so incredibly deep. And we're going to do some more studies into the Marvel Universe with my son. Um, and uh, it's crazy. Start getting into some of these comic books. Because the stories in the movies, I mean, they only just paint a small picture. They give you a lot of detail, but in the comic book, you know, he can, like, cover a billion years in two frames and one picture, you know, two pictures and a couple of bits of text, so it's easy for him to <clears throat> to be very, very creative in a comic book. He definitely went crazy with his creativity. Very fantastic. So I did not expect that at all. I like the backstory to be so complicated. <clears throat> and uh, well, thank God I got this moon here. I went down a different road today. There's hardly any lights, but I got the moonlight. There's no cars though, so it's nice and quiet. We don't hear the sound of fracking. Yeah. Okay, so those are two topics that I wanted to discuss. And, um... I mean, this is the stream of random podcast, so we can just switch topics at any time. But I did want to um, do the clips for the uh, the Google um, censorship debate. I wanted that to be separate because I hope that people who are not listeners of this show will actually listen, like other people. So that's my hope, that I could get some interest. And maybe some of our other older listeners will tune back in. Because they'll think, oh, well, he's finally doing clip shows again and not just him talking bullshit all the time. 
but I'm very humbled. Um, oh, Michael Rechtenwald has written a book. He's on the Tom Woods show. Talk, I'll just listen to that right now before I started. And he's talking about the, um, the merging of the mind and the machine, the nanobots, the brain cloud. And um, <clears throat> he wrote a fiction book on it. And he's talking about the authoritarians. But I gotta say, if he comes up here to upstate Pennsylvania, he's not gonna have anyone bothering him about taking his mask off. I was in the store yesterday going shopping and I didn't have my mask on. I had my hat with me for checkout. I held it over my face when I was close to a lot of people. But when I was walking around, I didn't have my mask on. And no one said anything to me because it's normal up here that people don't wear masks. So, um, if you live in New York City, people are going to be yelling at you. But why are you living there? But he brought up some good points. He says he has a new granddaughter who never got to saw his, see his face because his daughter is so paranoid. So it looks like he's got some family issues as well. So. Boy, it smells like garbage burning here. I guess the trash is still burning. It's really bad, actually. Yeah. I hear a rooster. So, that's what I was just trying to say that. I mean, I'm not going to be able to repeat all of his arguments. <clears throat> but he was basically saying how the masks give people a sense of uniformity, remove personality, um, they form the collective. And how this is being reinforced on Facebook and social media. Yep. So I did my experiment um, by writing some text backwards. And I posted it on Facebook. I logged back in for the first time in a long time. I posted a message <clears throat> telling people that um, 
that what you see in what you see in China as censorship is happening to you here in Facebook, and you should wake up. And um, only one person bothered to even read it, and I didn't even send that to them on Facebook. Well, the text was backwards, so I figured it would not be picked up by the algos. But it's just not picked up by anyone. <clears throat> yeah, and I have a real, um, I have a real, uh, I'm really starting to think about getting more listeners and reaching more people. And maybe we are going to have to uh, improve our format a little bit here. So yeah, I think those Google censorship series are going to be good. We're going to cover the um, Senate hearings. Most people don't have time to listen to all them on C-Pan, C-SPAN. But maybe you could listen to them as a commentary on this podcast. I mean, what other form? Who else is going to sit there and take a, take apart hours of information <clears throat> and try and explain it or comment comment on it? Um, try and make it a little bit more interesting. And to, to bring it into that format might be actually, uh, you know, interesting. Oh. Yeah, so I was working on a diagram. I could take a picture of it later. Working on this diagram of um, my model of computing, and I did like. Well, I talked. I think we talked about Django and ORM, the Object Relationship Modeler uh, Manager, or the Object Relational Relational Model, and. Um, And how you've got like a basic <clears throat> model of things in SQL. And you create those by writing your Python models. Well, I think that's a good start. But it's not enough for what we need to do, as I mentioned. Now, in the computer languages world, you also have different languages for specifying abstract syntax trees and their attributes. And I'm thinking something like that could be cool for ORMs. I mean, anything like that. 
to have an ORM-like interface. And um, <clears throat> like a programmer-friendly interface. This is where we get into domain-specific languages and all that. So, my thought is, <clears throat> can we describe a model, an in-memory model, for CPUs or virtual machines or something. I'm thinking like the um, the perfect system for or setting trace points and all that. The BPF language, I think it's called. But could we, in theory, write something like that in Python or some like friendly language and have like a model of the application that we can program against, the domain specific model, and have that compiled down to efficient machine code for injection into the kernel, like a higher level interface? Maybe it's been done already. I haven't been researching it. And what would that model of computing be? And um, if you're looking at it from a business aspect, you want to know, you know, you have your customer's orders, like the classic thing. Like customer orders items, items are delivered, you know, like a capitalistic uh, system. That could be your model, your accounting system, or business model. Your SAP system as a model of your business. <clears throat> Contracts and uh, customers' addresses and all that fun stuff. So SAP really has a model of the of the world and there's all types of ERP systems, even open source ones. I worked on a whole bunch of them. There's OODO, which is the Python-based one. SQL Ledger I worked on. And you have all different types of web shops. I think WooCommerce.
So is that your model of the business? As your domain? So people try and fit their businesses into these systems. They try and make their own model match with that other person's model. To try and squeeze their business into SAP. And uh, this is where we get into all types of issues of definitions and models and code. <clears throat> Meaning. And I guess it really comes down to what does this mean to these people? What does this mean to those people as a form of an agreement or some kind of contract? Yeah, I'm thinking about work right now. Oh my god. So So I guess, um, just drawing some ideas on paper or describing them loosely is not going to be enough to find meaning or agree on a meaning. People are going to want a more substantive substance for these definitions, these binding agreements and that's where we get into math and simulations <clears throat> so it's not enough to just draw a pretty diagram here in the fog it's pretty dramatic and I see a couple of stars and the moon in the fog definitely gonna have to get myself a uh, flashlight
but I think the answer to this software has to be usable and simple to use and then everything else will solve itself if it's easy to access if it's intuitive to use and figure out then um, you're fine and everything else could be explained slowly building on top of those direct experiences of intuitive use now I promise I wouldn't go too deep into this or even talk about this stuff but I really have to talk about it <laughs> I guess I can't help myself. And I do see that I'm not the best explainer. And we're going to have to work on these explanations and these models and all that. So, but it seems so obvious to me when I look at it visually on the diagram, it means so much to me. But then when I try to put it into words, I feel that these words are falling short of explaining my depth of understanding of what I meant when I wrote them. Well, one thing I wanted to communicate was every system has uh, different modes of usage, right? You've got developers who are changing the code or changing the object. People producing the artifact, right? Developers, artists, or electronic engineers or whatever. Then you have the users or consumers of the product who are using it. And you have a documentation that guides or helps the users understand how to use it. And even if that documentation is implicit, like onboard documentation or intuitive user interface or an interactive help system, right? Self-documenting code. That's just another way of delivering the documentation or metadata about how it's supposed to be used. And a lot of times people want just like step-by-step -step instructions or videos, you know, look at YouTube or go to Stack Overflow. And like type in this, type in that. So, 
thinking about work again. Oh my god. So, um, back to here. So we have a communication between the producer and the consumer. And we have also an obfuscation from the producer to the competitor. So there's two different forces here. We have competition and we have consumers. And the, the producer's trying to exclude competition and the consumer is trying to reduce price by increasing competition. Wow, someone's going to the airport at this time in the morning. So when the developer open sources his code, um, he's not necessarily granting the user the right to become the producer, because it could be prohibitively expensive for the uh, user or another developer to pick up and run that code or develop with it. It could be open source code that only runs on a billion dollar mainframe, let's say. And you need that to uh, produce the, um, the binary or whatever. So that could be a barrier to entry. What we're basically doing is we're doing a transactional analysis between the different roles of people um, and how they're interacting. Now, this becomes very interesting when you have layers and layers of software built up, like Django is built up on hundreds of modules, let's say, or you know, different Django add-ons bring in other modules. Looks like a car's coming speeding down the road and we get off the road here. guy had his high beams on and he didn't go out to the other side of the road like everyone else. <clears throat> okay. So we have different software modules using each other, dependencies. And these are all at some version. This version uses this version and the interfaces between them might be high level or they might be deep. So we have all types of interactions, complicated interactions between these modules or simple interactions. 
you know, it could be like, I'll call the cosinus function and get the cosinus, or it could be like, inject this callback to be executed under these conditions. So you have all types of different interactions. <clears throat> and, um, but this is a whole chain of things going down. So the Python module uses Python. And Python uses all these different C libraries. I mean, the C Python. And it's compiled for this architecture, the CPU chip. So it's a user of the CPU chip. It's a user of the operating system. And the operating system uses these drivers. And these drivers use these hardware. So we have a range of hardware being used by the Linux system, let's say that we purchased from different manufacturers. And those manufacturers may have provided us varying degrees of information about their hardware. But we're kind of getting into, you know, purchasing of hardware, right? And how that hardware is constructed and packaged and supported and how that makes its way into the operating system you know if you go to Walmart and buy yourself a disk drive and plug it in with a USB stick or something else right so you've got whole different um, of new hardware that could be introduced as well. Now those are business transactions and the business transaction system sits on top of let's call it the baseline reality or resources. Okay another car's coming let's watch out. Let's see if they get out of the way. He kind of went out of the way. He didn't have his high beams on. So, I mean, the question becomes, where does a, a model of, let's say, reality of external externalities start? And where does your business model end? Or does the business model abstract everything you need to know about reality? Okay, so I think we're going to have to introduce this business model and say that, um, you know, the computing world exists inside of a business model of some kind or a social model that gives more meaning to externalities. Like, what is this IP address? What is this machine? Who owns it? When was it bought? Where is it located? Who moved it? How was it delivered? And all those things.
What are the support contracts? Who's going to go fix the blinking light? Okay, next car. We're almost there, guys. Not going to torture you any longer. So And this is kind of where um, the different modeling systems uh, meet. And uh, people model their business systems inside of UML. Hey, I'm Mike. My dad has a house there. Oh, okay. uh, the junk house, I'm cleaning it up. Who are you? Mike? Parker? DuPont. Who? DuPont. Who are you? My name's Have a great day. You scared me. Just checking you out to see who you are. Cherish. Well, I got her on podcast. That never happened to me before. Man, I hit my fucking leg. I couldn't see them. Wants to check out who I am. It's like, who are you walking around here in the middle of the night? You know, if I was driving a pickup truck... It'd be okay if you're paying your Rockefeller tax, but if you're just a pedestrian, then obviously you must be a criminal. You don't have your tax paid. Then we have to stop you and interrogate you. That's the bias that we have against people out here in Pick'em-Up Truckville. Someone walking must be a criminal. I experienced that in Topeka, Kansas, oh my god. They would drive by, get a car, you loser! They would be yelling at us, like nobody walked there. And I explained they were very obese people. Kind of makes me angry. Kind of makes me angry. But not, I can understand.
Hey, I'm not used to having someone roll up on me like that, though. I felt kind of uh, vulnerable at that point, you know. She could have ran me over. I couldn't see her, couldn't see the license plate. If she could see me, I was at an informational disadvantage. Wow, what an exciting little trip. Thank you for joining me on my podcast. This is real life. I'm not in the studio. I'm out here on the street in the middle of the night. Sometimes shit happens. Whew. All right. Looks like I left the light on. I hope this got recorded. Yes, we did. 49 minutes. Okay, party people, I will see you on the way home. Okay, guys, this is the uh, end of today's podcast, and I'm just going to close it out because uh, things happen, shit happens, life happens, and I gotta go. Bye.